One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's March 28th, 1891, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that a bold and bespectacled 40-year-old choirmaster from Birmingham became the world's first weightlifting champion. Edward Lawrence Levy stood five foot four tall and weighed only 150 pounds, but he knocked the world's best weightlifters into a cocked hat, all six of them. <laughs> and he really did look exactly the way you would expect. He's got this sort of barrel chest and he's got this massive moustache. But then, as you say, he's got these tiny little John Lennon glasses, which are sort of out of uh, out of character with the rest of him. Sorry, I, I completely disagree that he looks exactly like you would expect. If you ask me, <laughs> what did the first winner of the International Weightlifting Championship look like? I would not be imagining a 40-year-old Jewish guy from Birmingham. I'm a 40-year-old <laughs> Jewish guy from London, right? There I have absolutely no chance whatsoever of winning the weightlifting <laughs> championship. And 40 then was like 60 now in 1891. True. The current world champion is 30. Maybe it's the moustache. Maybe it is the big handlebar moustache. The moustache is completely what you would uh, anticipate. This was the era of the gentleman amateur, and he was a man of very diverse passions. Not only was he the choir director of his synagogue, he had also been a schoolmaster. He was a star of amateur theatricals in the Birmingham area, and he was also the historian of the Midland Conservative Club. This was a time when you could really dabble in a lot of things. But the reason that this competition came about itself was sort of because they were trying to create create a respectable version of a sport that had been done for a while in a much less organised manner. And since the 1880s weightlifting contests had appeared in England, but they tended to be part of a vaudeville show style of thing. You had these strongman shows and performers would challenge audience members to beat them in a feat of strength. But there was no standardisation for any of these contests and strongmen would tend to use either dumbbells or sacks of flowers or wheelbarrows for props. And there was no shortage of foul play. You know, they facilitated centuries had been guilty of using either lightweight props for themselves or disadvantageous props for the people who they were going up against. And so this was an effort to bring some sense of actual legitimacy to a sport that was getting more and more attention. Yeah, well, I think you see the two strands of weightlifting, don't you, as a discipline going on. You've got the strong men bit, which is kind of circus act vaudeville stuff, has its modern manifestation in a way in World's Strongest Man, which is shown on Channel 5 on Christmas Day, right? Still a bit right. stunty, picking up jeeps, that kind of thing. And then you have the second strand, which at the time, if you look at the poster art from the era, they called halterophilia, which was the classical term from ancient Greek for dumbbell lifting. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, to think that a working class like visitor to one of these attractions would know that term rather than weightlifting. And you had these two things going on in parallel. And the idea of this World Weightlifting Championship was to kind of say, look, they're the same thing. You know, you can you can be a showman and also be authentically, independently assessed as the world's strongest man. But actually, as I've said, the fact that we still have these two events in parallel, things like the world's strongest man and the Olympics, mm. suggests that that's never really been reconciled, actually. There must be some snobbery still in the weightlifting world about which title it is you're going for, the showbiz one or the sports one. 
Well, one of the driving forces to reconcile those two different worlds was a guy called John Astley Cooper, who inspired the Commonwealth Games or the British Empire Games, as they were at the very beginning. He had this idea of international sport as a way of bringing people together from other countries, but this sort of twin motivating desire that he wanted to find the strongest lifter alive. And then he also wanted to make the sport bigger than it was. And he'd already run this competition back in January, where he'd had 12 Brits face off against each other and that was won by Levy as well. There was a weird scientific undertone to a lot of this as well. So you had the interest in cultivating a physique based on this Grecian ideal but there was also a sort of proto-eugenicist idea of we need to find the best person at everything in the world and see what conclusions Mm. we can draw from all of it. The guy who was sort of the forerunner to Levy was a guy called Eugene Sandow. He was a Victorian bodybuilder, became very famous, not for weightlifting, just for his physique, but he was billed as the world most perfectly developed specimen. So there's a really obvious undertone there of like mm. what we're really trying to do is sort of find out who the best people in the world are and then see what scientific conclusions we can draw from that. Which makes it even more ironic, obviously, that you know the strongest man turned out to be this mild-mannered Jewish school teacher. Sandow's an interesting one, actually, um, because he came to prominence through the challenges where um, you know, someone on stage would challenge people in the audience to see if they could be stronger than him. But he wasn't the guy on stage. He was someone who came up through the audience, Sandow, mm. and then oh. built a reputation for himself as, like, his big trick was he'd lift, I think they called it the human dumbbell or something. He'd lift two people either side of his dumbbell, which sounds like a great trick for a three-minute end to a variety show, but I don't know how you get an hour and a half of theatre out of it. I don't know they must have been absolutely drunk, wasn't they? To go and watch that for a whole night. You've really got to build up to the human dumbbell trick, haven't you? What's yeah. it, what was his patter? I don't know. But also, he's the guy who gave what they called then muscle display performances, um, which was basically posing. Like what we associate now, if you think of the Victorian strongman in the leopard leotard doing the stupid poses, that's him. That's based mm. on him. Like mm. if you're into your muscle worship stuff, that's that's the pose they still do, isn't it? All that kind of pouting and, and posing and clenching. I know I said this in the episode about Jules Leotard, but if you look up pictures of these strong men posing as well... Oh, here we're going to objectify some men again, are we, Rebecca? No, I'm not objectifying. <laughs> I'm just saying that the outfits are form-fitting and you yes. can see why they would appeal to a large subset of the population. <laughs> there was an ogling element to all of it as well, although not in this case. If I can take you back to what we're talking about on this day, these first weightlifting championships, they obviously did not expect a big crowd because it was held at Cafe Monaco on Shaftesbury Avenue in London's mm. West End. I mean, that's the heart of theatre land, Shaftesbury Avenue. Mm. If you wanted to yeah. create a serious sporting event now, you'd put it almost anywhere else but a theatre, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and there were only seven contestants, although there was an American, there was a Belgian, you know, it was international. However, Unlike now, if you think of how the weights get heavier and heavier until a winner emerges, in this 1891 contest, there were basically a series of exercises to be performed with various weights. Now we, the event is a duathlon. There's the snatch lift and the clean and jerk lift. In this one, it was an octathlon, and it involved holding the dumbbells in various positions. The problem was that actually Levy and the runner-up, Giacomo Zaffarano of Italy, both completed the sets. Mm. Levy ended up winning on style, which you feel like probably wasn't the fairest judgment i'm assuming that the judges were all british but even to this day at the olympics if you have a draw they determine who's won based on their body weight Mm. and that that seems a bit unfair like if they've both lifted the same thing 
I mean, I like style as a better way to break that <laughs> deadlock. <laughs> but actually, the event on this day was the Dumbbells event, and the event a few days later was where they introduced the barbell. And prior to this double header, most events had really focused on dumbbells, and it was really like the innovation of this contest was the introduction of barbells, even though they were reported on far less. Yeah, to the extent that I couldn't actually find records of what was lifted in the barbell event, because I thought, well, oh, I'll go and see what it was, and then I'll compare it to modern-day yeah. ones. I tried to do the same thing. And I think part of what the problem was, was that I found one account which seemed to say that a lot of people had trouble lifting the barbell at all. So they'd, li- they'd set their weight just way too high. The guys are just st- standing around going, must be one of those nah. new bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something wrong with this one. Um, I did manage to find what they were lifting in the dumbbell exercises. So the heaviest dumbbell that they lifted was a hundred pounds in each hand that's 45.3 kilos so they were lifting it to the shoulder and then overhead so kind of like the modern clean and jerk so assuming that two dumbbells is kind of like a barbell the current clean and jerk men's record in the 73 kilo and under division is held by china's shi Yong, and it's 198 kilos so they were lifting half that amount at this event in 1891 I think one of the reasons it might be hard to find this information now is because the event was seen as a bit of a flop. At the time, the Sporting Life described the event as being rather slow. Uh, It wasn't until in 1989 the International Weightlifting Federation, the IWF, rediscovered the competition that they assigned it as the founding world championships. It had kind of been forgotten in the history of weightlifting. Well, I mean, Levy wanted to be seen as an inspiration, particularly to the Jewish community. He was a leading figure of what was called muscular Judaism, which was sort of a movement modelled on what was called muscular Christianity, probably better known, this sort of Victorian concept of Christian masculinity, where it didn't it, being a Christian didn't mean that you had to be meek and mild, you could be very butch and macho and still be a Christian. And so there were leaders in the Jewish community, and Levy was one of them, who wanted to do something similar for Judaism, to kind of shake off the stereotype of Jewish men being quite, you know, bookish and meek and intellectual. And he actually saw his weightlifting, rather than standing in opposition to his religious role as a choir master, he actually saw it as part of his wider civic activism. And here we are, 130 years later, with me and Arian <laughs> representing the cause. <laughs> I think it's fair to say he failed. Yeah. <laughs> we did not get that memo, Ollie. <laughs> I want to see which one of you guys can lift me. <laughs> Might take both of us. Uh, no, no offense, but <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow. So she had a sense that she might make it if the cat made it. Though you know, famously, cats are good at falling. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com/slash/retrospectors. Part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.